As you know, we just got back from the beach with about, I don't know, 2,600 of us. As I've shared with some before the service, uh, I've been to a lot of beach retreats with a lot of kids. For 50 plus years, I haven't missed a summer. But I can tell you, I've never seen the desperation, the brokenness, the confusion, the emptiness, the pain that I witnessed this week with over 2,000 teenagers. Every time I come back from beach retreat, usually on Father's Day like this, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm angry. And I'd like to take a bunch of dads out and say, wake up, wake up. Fathers are to be the spiritual leaders and lovers in the home. And I can tell you that's not happening in America. We baptized after serious, personal, individual counseling so that every teenager would know exactly the decision they were making, the life-changing decision they were making for Christ. We take a cathedral, a gigantic gym they have in the middle of these cities and we divide it in half. We worship over here, 2,600, and over here we prepare a giant baptistry. We bring in water and we have seven or eight baptismal teams with a curtain in between. And we give an invitation after teaching for three nights. And we gave shirts that said real on it. The back it said hashtag unfiltered. So we tried to explain that Jesus Christ, when he enters a life, that's when people get real. Real with God, real with himself, and real with others. And so we went through that, gave an invitation. Then we counseled them all again and went on the other side for a gigantic baptismal service. And this year we baptized 652 teenagers into the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've come back, the parents that are here, to witness to mom and dad to tell you, let's live it. For God, for Christ, in the middle of the church, they've come back to evangelize those who stayed at home. Listen, mom, listen, dad, this is a moment in their lives. We're going this afternoon with a junior high bunch. We have only about a couple of grades there, so we don't take as many, I don't know, 16 or 1700. And these are part of the group from our Woodway campus. So if you didn't look at your sons and daughters before they left home this morning, 
You should have looked closely because many of them, when they come back, they'll be brand new. They'll be brand new. And so that's our prayer for them. I wonder if we could all just extend our hands toward these wonderful, beautiful young people. Father, we pray that you will speak to all of our hearts whose hands are extended. And particularly, Lord, may Jesus be presented to the lives of these terrific teenagers in a way that they will awaken to you, turn around and make those changes by the power of your Holy Spirit that will give them new life in Jesus. This is our prayer for these as we made in this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. See you at the beach. The last day of, I think it was May, there was a mother and father swan. They mate for life, by the way. And the mother swan was sitting on some eggs, waiting them for them to be hatched. And mysteriously, the mother swan died while sitting on the nest. The father swan, dad swan, his job in all the order of things in this marriage for life was to protect the mother and the unborn babes and to provide food for them. And swans are generally sort of sweet, nice, birds of the water. But I can tell you something, if any animal, any person would come and try to invade or harm that mother sitting on the nest, that father swan would let them know by noises that would back most people off. And if that doesn't work, a father swan has strength in the wings and that wing is so strong, if that father swan would charge any predator, it would break their arm or their neck. But this mother swan died. Those who were there took the mother off the nest and there were the eggs. And amazingly so, the father swan went and sat on the eggs, provided for food and protection and took the role of the mother that had died. And then when the Little swans had hatched. We have a picture of the father in a motherless home transporting the little newborn chicks around. I wish we had more godly fathers like this swan father. We're gonna to talk today about being a father, a father in the 21st century. The Bible gives rather clear instructions for us, tells us how this works. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for it is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And then the fourth verse of the sixth chapter of Ephesians says, and you fathers, you dads, do not provoke your children to wrath. I guess we over-discipline them but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. How do you do that, Dad? We have here four fathers. They would tell you they did not make an A plus, but in my opinion, they did a terrific job. Over here, we have Dr. Fred Bach, Doctor of Internal Medicine, his wife, Joanna, children, Peter, Timothy, and Nicole. We have over here, Andrew Klein, entrepreneur, wife, Pilar, children, Eliza, Hannah, and Daniel. Over here, we have Paul Thompson, business, wealth management, wife, Pam, children, Caroline, Paul Jr., grandchildren, four. Here we have Dr. Jim Tour, professor at Rice University, his wife Shireen, children Ambreen, Josiah, Sabrina, and Ben, and two grandchildren. So we've got some fathers who are basically looking through the rear mirror, right? Okay? They're sort of looking back. And so they're going to speak to fathers who are here, particularly young fathers, but all of us. And let's just see what these, I would say, successful fathers in busy vocations have accomplished with their sons and with their daughters. So let's just start. Dr. Bach, I'm gonna pick on you first over here. Internal medicine guy, pretty busy in his life. Got terrific kids. Fred, what would you say that you and your wife did best with your children. What was the, you'd say, and just simply say it, don't be too modest. Uh, I think we always emphasize that we go to the Lord for decisions and for everything. We try to drum into them, really that faith is part of normal life. Um, and and uh, in the good times and in the stressful times, uh, so we would always come back to the grace of God. We would always come back uh, to the Lord and his word. We would always come back to, uh, to prayer. Hmm. What role did the church have, Fred? The role has had a huge church. My, my kids were, I mean, I have already was, was a member here when I got married for many years. And so we were involved. Uh, they grew up in Sunday school here. Uh, they uh, attended beach retreats since they could, and actually the three, three of them are counseling, right, uh, going to be counseling this week. Uh, so they, uh, the church has had a huge influence on them. And we, we were in church every Sunday. That was not, never an option. Occasionally they say, well, can we stay home and have home church? Uh, <laughs> we say, no, we're going to church unless we're traveling somewhere in a hotel room. And then that's, that's good, yeah. good. Paul, uh, my goodness, you and your wife have been here leading in so many, many variety of things. What would you do differently if you had a 
chance to do it over again, which every father here would say that. Wouldn't we, dads? I mean, we'd all put up our hands. What would you do differently if you had a, another chance? Well, I would say, um, you know, as a, I was in the ministry when, before Pam and I got married, and so I had some semblance of, of Bible knowledge, but um, I, I kind of camped out in the whole issue of sovereignty of God. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff, and I'm not going to sweat the big stuff because God's got it. And that was great until parenting came along. <laughs> and, um, and so when a conflict would arise, I would, uh, unfortunately, I would step back a little bit. And I'd say, well, you know, God's got this. And besides, I'm married to Pam Thompson, so, you know, it's all going to be good. She can handle this. And I realized later on that, that that wasn't a good, that wasn't good. I needed to be more involved. I needed to be involved in the conflicts. And um, I grew up sailing, and so in, in sailing, my, that's my passion. And when, but one of the things in sailing you don't want to do is you don't want to head into the wind because when you head into the wind, you lose control and uh, you don't really know where you're going. But that's not really true in parenting. A lot of times in parenting, you have to head into the wind to stop mm -hmm. and slow down and say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this conflict. I'm going to get involved. Yes. And I'm going to intentionally not back away. And you address one of the big problems we see is passive fathers. Passive fathers. We see it in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, plenty of biblical examination. And you decided to come off the bench and take the role of, of a father. Andrew. Actually, you had, uh, you had a great passage in your book on passive parenting, and, uh, or a chapter in there, and it was very helpful. You know, my wife, Jo Beth, would pull out that book and say, this is what a, a parent is supposed to do. I said, where did you learn that? And there would be my words. I'm telling you, that's a challenging thing. Andrew, uh, talk to us. You've got terrific kids, a great wife. Uh, what was what the secret of your home? What did y'all do that made your kids rise up and walk with the Lord today as adults? Um, I think... Um, 2000, year 2000, I told Pilar, you know, the church says that you need to go home and raise the kids if you don't have to work. Absolutely, you don't have to work. And I think that was the right call. So I called Pilar to my office and said, uh, I need to let you go. <laughs> you need to go back home and help me really raise the kids. In church, uh, Dr. Young, it's the message, the preaching, the Bible study classes, the programs, the awanas, the jump, the giggle, <laughs> the, everybody. I mean, it takes a village, really, now to bring up kids. Mm -hmm. And this is my village. This is my family. And uh, we just trust it and obey, and there is nothing else. There's no other way. I mean, like the song says. <laughs> so good. we basically did that, um, had a strong marriage. Also in church, they told us, do not use the word that begins with a D ever. 
So I went back and I told Pilar, today we're going to make a commitment and we are not going to use the word that begins with the ever. We're going to work on our challenges, whatever challenges we had, and we continue on. And I don't know, I think uh, we went back to church and they said, you know, you should not have TV watching because the kids, you know, they wake up with a blank tape and you are responsible as a parent mm. to fill that blank tape in the Absolutely. morning. So he said, you know what, okay, the church says there's no TV, so we decided not TV. And then we went back to, the, to church again and, um, and they said, you have to spend time. So from there on, I mean, every dinner we were together. Every uh, Sunday was a family Sunday and those rules were not broken. I mean, we placed no negotiables, but I think those negotiables are more intended for the parents <laughs> rather than the kids. I think that's great. Now we've got an unusual background here. Lebanese background, redneck Texas background, <laughs> Colombia, Colombia background. And now we have a New York Jewish background with Dr. Tour. So we got everything up here, folks. Every kind of father from all over the world. Dr. Tour, I want you, Jim, if you would share with us a little bit of how I think your Jewish background came in the New Testament background when you came to Christ and how you and your wonderful wife what you did every morning and night with your kids, I think is beautiful. Would you share that? Um, when my daughter was about, it, it was about four years old and the next one was about two, my father-in-law was visiting us and he said, you know, I, I, uh, I see you pray with your kids every night before bed, but they need more than that. You really need to rise up in the morning and spend time teaching them the word of God in the morning. And it was like a word of Jethro to me. And, and uh, so from that day, I got my kids up at 5.30 in the morning, and we studied the Bible together. We read it. I read Hurlbut's story of the Bible from beginning to end with them. We'd pick up the next chapter the next day, and we'd, we'd read that. I'd read that to them. And then we would practice scripture memorization that we were working on. I would write out scriptures and they'd memorize it and we'd work on that. And then we'd all get on our knees, we'd pray, and then I'd lay my hands on them and pray over them before I left. And I was gone at six in the morning every day. And so, so uh, they, you know, I know what it is to work hard, but I got them up every day in the morning. And so when the boys were born, they, they got out of bed. I picked them up out of the crib the day they got home from the hospital. And, and uh, uh, from then on, we, we had, we had uh, family time in the morning. And that's, you know, it's easy to look back and to see many things I did wrong. That I had right. And I, will, I never regret that. And even when the kids got older and they got into high school, They'd grunt and groan, and I'd, they'd say, why are you waking me up? i said, I can't imagine why I'm waking up. And they'd come down, and, and, and we'd have family, family devotions in the morning. And then in the evenings, after dinner, Shireen would be getting cleaned up, and I'd put the kids to bed, the, starting with the youngest, and I'd pray with them and talk with them, and, and, uh, uh, and all the way, and then eventually to the oldest. And, and then when they got 
older, they, they kind of put me to bed, is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Deuteronomy 6, is it not? Into it, the Jewish, they sit there and they build in, wake up, go out. That's your background. Yeah, that's my background. You know, I, I, I would like to say that I learned all that in, in the synagogue, but I was not an avid synagogue goer. So, so really, I learned these treasures uh, through the scriptures and through my father-in-law, who, who spoke these things into my life. And then I saw it clearly in the scriptures. Moses said to the people, as he was wrapping this thing up after 40 years of instruction, he said, this is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. You are to instruct your sons after you. And this is clear, clear instruction that we are to instruct our children. So if I could say something to fathers, it is this. If you want to have an impact in your children's life, wake up daily and spend time with them in the Word of God. I got up early. I had my own time. Then at 5 a.m., I would bring Shireen her cup, of coffee, her cup of tea and her Bible. And then at 5.30, the whole family got up. I got up the kids, and the little ones were on my back, and I'd bring them on down, and, and we'd have family time together. I never will regret that we did that. All the years until they left for college, that's what they did. That was our life. And that has placed a treasure in their hearts and as a family together. You're going to pick up a little theme through here. I'm going to tell you the secret. Dads, it has to be intentional. I said, like, Boy, you sure were lucky with your kids. No, it's intentionality. Let's talk about discipline a little bit. That's a tough, tough thing is discipline. Uh, Paul, discipline your kids. How'd you do it? When'd you do it? Uh, what are some principles? Well, we did discipline our kids, obviously. Um, you know, discipline comes from the Lord, and so that's something that we uh, believed in, too. Um, we tried to discipline in a way, we, the, the, you know, the physical discipline and spanking and things like that, we tried to use very sparingly, but we tried to let... Um, the discipline be consequences. Mm. You know, I'm sorry you did that, and so because of that, um, we're going to either take something away that you really like to do, or we're going to ask you to do something that you really don't want to yeah, do. Yeah, it's good. And so we really tried to camp out on that uh, and not to be too heavy there. Paul, discipline over there, Fred. How'd you discipline your children? Um, Differently as they grew up, uh, I have to say, I, it was not my strong suit when they were younger. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, uh, I, looking back, it's one of the things I think I should have been done, doing more consistently. Uh, but over time, we, you know, obviously we would do similar things. We would make sure that they were disciplined uh, depending on their age. And uh, later on in the teen years, um, you know, most men, I think most of us don't like conflict and don't like getting into discipline. It's just part of our nature. Uh, our blood pressure goes up. Our pulse rate goes up more than women when we get into a conflict situation. Mm -hmm. But I think certainly have learned that it's important for us to roll up our sleeves and get in there. Uh, and I would tell my, you know, kids, look, uh, and I would always preserve their dignity. I would, whatever they did wrong, uh, you still spoke to them very respectfully at the same time, told them this is wrong, no, you can't do this. And, and uh, I would tell them, look, you know, if I let you do, if I said yes to 100% of what you asked, I would be a bad father. That's right. Uh, you know, you get to do 
and the other 10%, what I say no to, or 5%, you just have to respect that. Yeah. I put my foot down. And, and, and Fred hinted to something. Uh, our kids are different. I mean, Ed, our, my oldest son, he, you didn't get his attention, let you, I'm saying this in exaggeration, hit him in the head or two before. I mean, it took that to get his attention. I didn't literally do that, but it took more corporate discipline when he was young because that was his personality. Ben was different. You could speak to Ben intelligently and logically and he would get it. Cliff was totally different. You just look at Cliff, he was broken. He got it right up front. See, you have to discipline according to the, now don't say the preacher hit his old, no, 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 no. I'm just saying you have to discipline according to their personality, according to their age and where they are. And by the way, how do you get to know them like that, Dad? You do the most important thing with your kids. They spell love, T-I-M-E. You get to know them. Uh, discipline, do you ever discipline your kids, Andrew? I think they discipline me you know, most of the time, but uh, <laughs> uh, back to, I, I believe that the discipline um, comes also to begin with, with parents. We need to be disciplined in many, many ways mm -hmm. because if they watch you, uh, you should be like a role model yeah. as much as you can. Like uh, San Francisco of Assisi said, you know, I mean, preach the gospel all day long, only if necessary, use words. And I believe it becomes easier. Yes, they were different. I mean, I mean, we, we had our barriers. Barriers are like arms of love surrounding them. Uh, some of them needed to be higher barriers. The other ones, medium. And some of them placed barriers on us. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're all different, and they all need discipline. And we discipline uh, throughout uh, the, the years. Mm -hmm. I believe that uh, you got zero to 18 years to really make sure that they have the personal relationship with Jesus. Once they have a personal relationship with Jesus, I know for sure that the Holy Spirit also working mm -hmm. with them because That's we right. need their power right. and we need the family here uh, to teach them the right way. Right. Jim, uh, talk to me about the role of the wife. You know, we're fathers, we're the spiritual leader of the home, we're the lovers and the wives are the cheerleaders. Uh, Talk to me about the role of your wife in this, wives with fathers, their, their role, the role, the relationship between the husband and the wife. I tell uh, all the time, parents, that's the most important thing you teach your children in their life outside of Christ. Talk about the wife's role. You know, Shireen would see things long before I ever saw it. I mean, she would see there's a problem and, she, and she'd come to me and she'd say, you need to, to deal with this. and I. If she didn't have my attention, I remember she would put her hands on my cheeks <laughs> and look in my eye and get my attention. She said, you need to deal with this. When I understood that it was, it was to that degree, I dealt with it very, very quickly. And, and uh, she was the one who saw things. And she was the one that I think they, they, they continue, even to this day, if they want something, they go to her, and she will appeal to me, and and uh, and then they end up getting it, and so they they they, they know that this is this is the routine, uh, and and she's she was always there to hear them, and even to this day, they spend more time speaking with her on 
until there's the problem mounts up and then it comes to me. But when I would see something, we acted together very quickly. I remember one time my daughter, one of my daughters was about 13 and she asked me, Dad, what is an anorexic? And I explained it to her. And the next day she said, Dad, I think I'm going to become an anorexic. <laughs> I took that very seriously. That was no joke to me. I said, we are going to counseling together. And right away, we went into counseling together. And, uh, uh, and we dealt with that issue before it even started. So Shireen would point things out to me, and then we were very quick to deal with it with our children. Now, what about the relationship that you and Shireen had together, independent of your children? How important is that for parents? Oh, it, it is so much, and, and that Shireen and I flow together. I remember we were seeing one counselor together, and he said that when there's conflict between a husband and a wife, imagine if you saw conflict between Jesus and his father. That's what it is like to children. And then it really dawned on me, she and I have to get this thing right. And we would go to professional counseling, whatever. And I would initiate that. If, we, if I felt there was, there's an impasse as a husband, as the father in the home, I initiated. She never had to initiate that. I said, I think we need some counseling. And we'd find a counselor and we'd go and we'd get some help. And as soon as we walked in there, I'd say, whatever you tell me to do, I will do because we've got to get this thing fixed. And they'd say, you know, if, if that's the way you are, we'll get this fixed in no time. And usually after five or six sessions, we were done. We were fixed. And so we had to get that thing right because imagine a conflict between Jesus and his father. It's incomprehensible. Hmm. Now, I'm going to do something I didn't plan on doing. Let's see how much wisdom we have out here. Uh, I don't want any frivolous stuff, but uh, what would you ask a father about fathering that are here? I hate to call on people, but I'm not above it. Uh, what would you ask? What would you ask one of these men about fathering? Unrehearsed. <laughs> 